Is there a conspiracy to control our food? I mean, heck, there seems to be a desire to control just about everything else. Why not our food? Well, today we're going to go over four common claims that are made. We're going to go through everything through food processing plant fires, the WEF, Bill Gates and China owning farmland. We're going to talk about all that, and we're going to try to distill what makes sense and what does it. But then we're also going to discuss another point, and that has to do is why do we have so many conspiracy theories and why do so many of them seem to end up coming true? All of that coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm excited for today's episode because I think it's going to be very illuminating. There is a lot going on, and hopefully you guys will join us in Volley to discuss some of our, our episode ideas in the future. So let's get it rolling. Like Lydia said, we'd love to see you in Volley, and today we have Nick in the studio, Christian, Tina, myself, and Lydia, and we're very excited for today's episode. All right, let's go ahead and kick this off. So the question is, the question before the, the council of making the argument elders here is... Um, <laughs> Is there an actual conspiracy to control our food or is there a lot of stuff that's just kind of coming up and being blown out of proportion? And so the first thing that we're going to look at is um, we're going to look at the, the WEF and, and there's a lot to say about the WEF in general. I mean, obviously we've heard about the whole great reset. We've heard about that article written by one of their, their, you know, young members that they're raising up to be future leaders within the world talking about how you're going to own nothing and you're going to have no privacy and you're going to love it. But when it comes specifically to food and the Great Reset, um, one of the things, one of the things that I hold up as evidence. So, like, here's the question: Is is does the WEF really want to control food supply, or is this just something that's blown out of proportion? I would say that I, I think there's definitely an agenda within the WEF to control and manipulate agricultural markets in accordance with their agenda as part of the Great Reset, right? I don't, I don't think it's some sort of whacked out conspiracy theory. Why do I not think that? Well, because they brag about it at their meetings. But then we, we saw this case. We, we actually did a whole episode on this, but it was the whole why the Dutch farmer protest is your cause too. And what this, what this was all about was the WEF had put out these recommendations. They had had a lot of people that had gone through their Young Leaders Program that are now in uh, the, the you know, parliament within the Netherlands, and they passed sweeping legislation, uh, just absolutely sweeping legislation that was going to require roughly about 30% of a lot of the, you know, um, you know, nitrogen heavy, you know, uh, or excuse me, um, agricultural heavy things like dairy farming, uh, hog farms, things like that was going to cause almost 33% of them to essentially go out of business. They were going to have to sell off the land in order to meet the, the fertilizer requirements that this new law was going to put into place. And the thing that we talked about that was, was interesting about that, you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, the Netherlands are, are great. We got a European country that decided to go woke on agriculture. Is that really, is that really a shock? And the reason why it is like the reason why the timing of all of this is, is kind of suspicious is because this is going on at the same time that Ukraine which is responsible for a significant portion of, of wheat exports and other uh, cereal exports to the rest of the world, they're obviously not growing a whole lot right now, right? There, there isn't a whole lot of, of exports, at least not to the degree that it used to be within Ukraine. Plus, you had major energy concerns because of the war in Ukraine. And at, at the same time that all that is happening, the Netherlands is doing So why is it important to us, to all of us, that this is going on in the Netherlands? Because the Netherlands is the second largest food exporter in the world. Wow. It's a small country, too. It's a tiny country. It's a very efficient country. It is a tiny country, but it's got incredible uh, agricultural land. Um, and I, and the, the way that the, the farmers over there have managed their agricultural resources have been incredibly productive. And and the bottom line is, is Europe and other places of the world depend on the agricultural uh, production of the Netherlands to be able to keep their food prices. It's something that everybody can afford. And so the question is, is why would you be so determined at this point to push this particular agenda? You, you would think you'd at least have the common sense to be like, okay, well, all right, maybe we would like to do this and maybe this is a great goal over the next 30 years. But my gosh, with a major war, with an energy crisis, with a food crisis going on, with people still recovering from COVID and supply chain issues, maybe this isn't the best time to essentially shut down 30% of, of Dutch agriculture. Well, keep in mind that it's it's not just the nether like the, Europe traditionally historically Europe relied on Ukraine for food. That's why it's yeah. known as the breadbasket of Europe. But in the post World War II economy, especially since Ukraine was then shut off from the rest of Western Europe because it was part of the Soviet Union, 
Um, that's part of the reason the Netherlands became the agricultural powerhouse that it was, was because Western Europe needed another source of food and they couldn't get access from Eastern Europe anymore. So it's, it's really funny that like in the, you know, 1960s and seventies, the, the Dutch government basically did everything they possibly could to encourage the agricultural industry to, to grow and thrive. And now they're doing basically everything they can to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take the Netherlands out of the equation, suddenly Europe now only has really two places that it can get most of its food from the United States and Canada. Yeah. Um, in fact, if it weren't for the fact that the Canadian grain harvest this past year was actually really, really good, um, food prices in Europe would probably be way, way worse because Canada is the number five exporter in the world. So, like, it, what I'm trying to say is that, like, the situation looks bad right now, but it could have been much oh, worse. Yeah, much worse. Um, and, and by the way, it's not just the Netherlands where this is going on. You said earlier, like, do we have evidence to suggest that the World Economic Forum or uh, or some of these other type of groups do have somewhat nefarious you know, motives behind some of the stuff that they're saying. And one, yes, we know that they do because you can go look at some of their statements. And that keep they put in mind, out. they don't think it's nefarious. They don't but, think yeah. it's nefarious. We do. <laughs> yeah. That's a difference of opinion there. I yeah. think they're totally wrong, but yeah. um, we've seen what they've said before. Um, I mean, it was just a few years ago, they were tweeting out about how, you know, overpopulation is the biggest threat facing the world, yeah. that alongside climate change, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that really implies something. But look at their actions. And it's not just in the Netherlands. It's also in Sri Lanka. Oh, my God. Which is like their poster child for um, the WEF's whole entire economic model being applied and failing miserably. Yeah. We actually just uh, did a Y Minute on this recently that hasn't been released yet, if I recall. I think it's just. Um, it actually, just no, it just out. came, it came out, out yesterday, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. It came out yesterday. Um, the story in Sri Lanka is is crazy. I want to read something off that I discovered that I did not incorporate in the script for the wine minutes because, you know, we're, we're trying to give a, a, a broad view of things. So um, in 2021, in April 2021, the government in Sri Lanka announced that they were banning, banning all forms of agriculture that are not organic. Oh, my God. The most extreme policy that yeah. no country, not even in the Netherlands are they doing no, this. No, no, no. The Netherlands is is... You know, they're they're playing uh, checkers and and you know they're they're playing chess in Sri Lanka, right? You know, or five D chess in yeah. Sri Lanka. Um, so they announced that they were banning all forms of non organic agriculture. Well, um, some of the justifications that were put forward were just ridiculous. Yeah. There was one member of the um, presidential task force that was assigned to basically oversee this transition towards organic agriculture, and when critics were bringing up this is going to completely destroy the economy. The response was, well, this is going to be a healthy decision because did you know that 2000 years ago, Pliny the Elder wrote about the (laughs) Sri Lankans. Pliny the Elder was a Roman historian, very famous Roman historian. A lot of his work survived to this day. And he wrote that the average Sri Lankan was living 140 years, but modern agricultural practices have cut that in half to only 74 years. Okay, first off, this is... To give some oversight here, when Roman historians are writing about a place like Sri Lanka, which is, (laughs) from their point of view, the edge of the world, that's like here be dragons. They were visiting. (laughs) They weren't visiting. This is hearsay. It's like, have you ever played telephone? And by the time it gets to the last person at the end of the line, the the story is so distorted that it's so detached from reality. That's. That's what Roman historians were doing. They couldn't even locate Sri Lanka on a map. They heard about it from some merchants. Yeah. There's this island near India, and then they come up with these wild stories about it, and yeah. suddenly you start talking about how the, you know, the Amazons live there, and they have well, here, a lifespan of over 100 here's years. What's, here's what's kind of suspect, too, about what they were doing over there. I've got no problem with organic farming. I love organic farming. I, I mean, if, if you ever, I mean, gosh, we got a whole thing we're going to be doing uh, on Joel Salatin because I, th- I think he's a great guy and he talks a lot about kind of the like heavy industrial and, and fertilizer rich, you know, farming versus organic and composting. And, and I look, I'm a big believer that composting is an awesome way to farm and the whole deal. However, we're at a stage right now where our entire 
economic system with respect to agriculture is heavily dependent on a particular type of industrial farming. And you might not like that and you might want to change that and you might want to create incentives over time. Okay, fine. But <laughs> when you just say, nope, not doing it anymore, the, the end result is like you destroy the rice and tea industry in Sri Lanka. And the next thing you know, you have poverty. And one of the biggest things that I think people like us are trying to explain to people that, hey, I want more organic farming. Great. We don't disagree with you. But you're not going to get more organic farming when you shut down agricultural production by 30 percent through government mandate. Through government mandate, what you're going to get is revolts, right? Because, same thing with like and that's green, exactly what happened yeah, in Sri Lanka. They literally with, overthrew the government. Yeah. The prime minister resigned, and, and and huge members of the parliament switched parties. By the way, when they did this switch, the rice production in Sri Lanka fell by 20 percent in six months. Yeah. That's so, like, so like whole industries wiped out. The tea industry was also completely wiped out. So the bottom line and, is I, I think when we're looking at the WEF, do they have an agenda with respect to controlling agriculture? I think that is fact check true. Fact check Ab- true. Absolutely. They, they want to do it and they think they're doing it for your own good. Mm-hmm. And they definitely think that, that meat is a problem. And they, you know, again, when we go into the whole thing with bugs and everything else, second one we're going to go to is food processing plants and specifically, specifically food processing plant fires. Now, there's been a lot of media attention on some of the fires that come up with food processing plants, and it's led a lot of people to wonder, like, okay, is, are these being intentionally destroyed or intentionally tampered with in order to help control food production? So we looked at this. Christian looked at this. Tina looked at this. Lydia looked at this. Like, we all kind of looked at these, these various things with this, and the conclusion I came to was I can't find enough evidence. That doesn't mean it's not there. I'm just saying I can't find it that suggests that there's been a huge uptick with respect to, you know, sabotage or any sort of deliberate sabotage with respect to food processing plants or fires in general, or, yeah, or fires in general. So like I, I have a, now we're going to get into a whole different thing with food processing plants, but that was my conclusion. Like, Christian, did you come to a different conclusion? I no, I mean, I looked back all the way back to like 2008 and it, 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 there, there's all sorts of stories that predate COVID yeah. that are on the internet for, for people to look up of, you know, like it, it, I found one from 2019 of a big fire at a Tyson plant in Kansas. I found another one in LA in 2017 with a fire. There's another one in, um, uh, in 2015, there's one in 2008, there was an Omaha one in 2014. I, I, I can keep going through the list, but the, the point is, is that my take on this, when I looked at this, like started seeing people talk about it on Twitter. I had this gut feeling that is this, is this actually like a thing that is new or is this a case where because it's been reported now, people think that it's a new thing or that it's happening everywhere. Well, because, and because everything, the media, is, everything else is going on right. at the same time. This is the big thing that I want to get to because the media has so thoroughly just chucked their, their reputation away. Uh-huh. I feel like that, that, and and I believe you want to go into this. We're going to go into that the, later. Later, don't. Okay, don't. I won't spoil it. But <laughs> I I think that I'll, I'll say this. I think the media is is playing a role, but not necessarily the role that you might be thinking, in terms of leading people to draw certain conclusions about this that they're currently. Well, drawing. look, I'll open it up. Did anybody? I mean, Lydia, Tina, did you guys come up with anything different on the food processing plant fires? I I'm still kind of reserving judgment just a little bit. The problem is, is a lot. So on the internet, you can find list after list after list of all of these food plants um, catching fire and things like that. One interesting thing that I noted is this is also previous food processing plants. So there was a diamond nut factory, whatever plant in live live Oak, California um, that caught fire, caused a huge thing. It was a catastrophic loss. Oh, by the way, it hadn't been in production for many years, but that's what it used to be. So people who are touting this conspiracy are holding up things like that. And, yeah. and you're going, wait a minute, that's not even in production anymore. That place was shut down. It was abandoned. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, so there's a few things like that. There, there are a lot of explanations that can be had for this because in food processing, fire is used in the process a lot. And you've got exhaust systems and everything else. And, you know, things need to be cleaned out. You know, just like your dryer vent has to be cleaned out. House fires are caused by dryer vents not being cleaned, right? So, I think that you've got like 
people are really combing over this microscopically right now. And I think, I mean, my theory is really it's the, it's that people are looking at this now yeah. more than they ever would have before. And I, and I think the reason why is because back in 2020, we all were faced for the first time since the depression yeah. with shortages suddenly. And suddenly here in the land of plenty in the, in America, we are seeing shortages yeah. and, and, and this is a foreign concept to anybody under the age of what 60. Mm -hmm. And, and so, I mean, most of the people that remember the depression aren't, aren't with us now. Mm -hmm. And so this is the first time people are suddenly realizing that, oh my gosh, in this land of abundance, we can actually run out of things. Yeah. And now they're looking at empty shelves. They're looking at a lot of different factors that have contributed to this to, to various shortages. A lot of it has to do with the labor losses during um, COVID. Yeah. And so, it's going to take time for everything to catch up, but I think people are really focused in on it now because it's hurting well, I, them in a way it never has before. Well, I, what we're not saying is that this doesn't look weird. It does, it does. look weird. It does, no, look, it does weird. look weird. But what, what I am, but I think Tina's on to something. I think when you have a point where, okay, let's say, let's say you had three or four fires a year and you've had three or four fires a year for 10 years, but in every other year that you had it, it wasn't such an impact that it was affecting what you saw on the shelves in the store. You didn't see increased prices. You didn't see shortages. And then all of a sudden you add all these other things with lockdowns, with supply chain, with COVID and all this, and you compound all of that. And then now all of a sudden there's a lot more attention on it. Plus the impact of that individual, you know, fire, it is significantly greater. So plus the data isn't really there to see. Um, I, yeah. I pulled up an article. This from is a good point. The, this article from NFPA.org, which is the National Fire Protection Agency and their director was actually saying that they don't actually categorize um, food processing specifically, it's all under manufacturing yeah. and agriculture and all these other things. And so when they say, oh, there's the, 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 basically most of these places that are fact checking and saying, oh, well, there's no uptick. How do they actually know there's no uptick? I mean, in this article by itself, which is one of the articles that they cite, yeah. um, in this article alone, the director is saying they don't track that and never have. Yeah. And so if they don't track it, how do you know well, that it's this, not higher? Well, and that's why a lot of us are kind of going, hello, media, why yeah. are you using circular reasoning here? Well, this goes in, this goes into a point, too, where you'll see them, like they did this with green energy. Well, they'll cite a study saying 97% of scientists agree X, Y, and Z. And then scientists that were a part of the studies that they were, that they contributed to those studies would come up and be like, I don't agree with your conclusion. Well, but you're on the study that we cited. I'm like, yeah, but the role I had on that study was this, this, and this, mm -hmm. and I don't agree with your, well, we're citing the study and you're on the study. Right. And so that ends up, you, again, this, this goes into a larger thing that we're going to end up talking about later with, with how do we get good information. But I, I would say there's one other thing I want to do before we move on to our third point, and that has to do with whether there are fires or not, like whether there's been an increase in fire, whether it's sabotage. I don't, I'm just to be honest, I don't see sufficient evidence for me to come forward and say, absolutely, this is a you know, conspiracy or this is deliberate. I don't see that. I'm sorry. If somebody else has evidence that they'd like us to review, I'd be happy to look at it. But from what I've looked at, I don't see it. What I do see, and which I think in some ways is worse, is the is kind of this institutional desire to have so much federal control over food processing. And, and part of that is because of the USDA, which by the way, the USDA has like 15 separate agencies under the USDA. And every attempt that they've made to try to to try to make it easier for people to be able to process, especially process meat and to sell it, ha has really been has really come back with a lot of pushback from the federal government. Not to mention a lot of the different associations, even at the state level. Um, in fact, if you go to uh, go to the HR uh, thirty eight thirty five one over one over, there you go, that one. All right, this was um, this is actually the Prime Act. This is something that uh, Congressman Thomas Massey put forward, and and part of it, he's just trying to do greater exemptions for people to be able to process meat and not have to go through the onerous regulations of federal inspection because the federal inspection rules are really there for interstate commerce. It's not supposed to be something that affects every single thing that is sold within the state. However, the federal government will use its clout to pressure states to limit the amount of food processing that can take place 
and and they've actually did they did this in Maine. Maine actually passed a pretty comprehensive food freedom bill, and the USDA came in, the federal government came in, and essentially told Maine, if you allow this to go into a law, we're going to pull your USDA approved food processing plants. So even though it wasn't a violation of the Constitution, even though it wasn't a violation of any federal laws, even though it was completely within the state, right? It was intrastate commerce, not interstate commerce, right? The feds still use their muscle to edge in in there and say, fine, you can legally do that. But if you do, we're going to pull all of this. And that's extortion. And so like I've carried food freedom legislation in Virginia. It's incredibly difficult to get food freedom legislation. Anything that's truly like expansive is very, very difficult. You, you not only run into the federal government, you run into a lot of like bigger industries that Bottom line is they don't want a lot of smaller producers to be able to to provide this. And it's always done under the auspices of consumer safety. But this is something that Thomas Massey's tried to do uh, in order to provide a little bit of, of deregulation with informed consent. So it's not like it's not like somebody in the state level. It's like somebody is like slaughtering a cow in their backyard, packaging it up and selling it to Safeway. Right. That's not what's going on here. It's more more like direct person to person sales. And that's the direction I think we need to go because, okay, great. The federal government has some jurisdiction when it comes to interstate commerce, but there, there needs to be more options because what we're seeing, and this goes back to Tina's point, I'm not ready to say that there's some sort of conspiracy here with respect to food processing plant fires. I am willing to say that the federal government likes the amount of control that they have, or there's a lot of big industry that also likes that level of federal control. They don't want to compete with smaller producers. And so they shut down any attempt to be able to provide greater diversity within that marketplace. And that's the more systemic issue that we're dealing with within food processing. One thing that I think makes it much more believable that there is an increase in food processing plants, you know, going ablaze is increasing prices. But as we've talked about on this show, there are a multitude of reasons why yeah. prices have been increasing, especially with eggs. Everybody knows that eggs have gotten very expensive. Uh, but Lydia, I know you had one point as well. Yeah, so before we wrap up this point, I really want to emphasize to people that we don't want to be like the mainstream media. We want to be 100% in pursuit of truth. So we really don't want to jump the shark. We want to go out there and gather as much of our own evidence as we can without actually being journalists who, you know, have funds and have like the day job to be able to go and find out about this kind of thing. But it's really important to remind people that even though conspiracy theories have been correct in the past, it's not safe to assume going forward that all of our conspiracy theories are going to be correct. So I think that's really just a good thing to keep in mind, but it's great to examine all the evidence and really important to do so as we try to pursue the truth. No, I think it's a, again, that, that is the point of what we're trying to do here. It's I'm, I'm we're not going to look, I'm not going to tell you something is a certain way because I think you want to hear it. I'm going to tell you if I think it's actually true. And there may even so, be danger in believing it. If it leads to a situation where we do rely on, rely on the federal government to try and fix the problem. Well, that, and, and I think there, you know, <laughs> Jordan Peterson has a statement that I really like, and he goes, telling the truth will always get you the best outcome that could have that could have, that was possible. That doesn't mean it gets you a great outcome. Sometimes yeah. people can get mad at you. People can get frustrated with you. But I would say on number two, the plant fires, I, I don't, I don't see it as being any sort of coordinated, you know, thing. I just, I just don't, but that moves us on to number three and that is foreign ownership of land. So this is, this it's a is a different story this time Foreign. this is foreign entities owning uh, land within the United States. Um, we're going to get, there's, there's also been some question about individuals. We're actually going to hit that point next, but this point is specifically about foreign countries, um, you know, owning land within the United States. And so we did some, I I did some research on this one. We actually passed legislation in Virginia this year. We actually had some fairly decent bipartisan support on it, which said that there were certain, certain nations that we were no longer going to allow to buy, um, you know, agricultural land and whatnot within Virginia. And the reason why is because if you, if you have an open policy of hostility toward the United States, we're not going to let you buy up a lot of stuff. Now, some people will say, why should we allow any foreign ownership of land? And I, I want to point something out here because there is a distinction that needs to be made. So let's talk about China very quickly. I'll give some stats here. China owns uh, roughly 384,000 acres of U.S. agricultural land. This is according to a 2021 report from the Department of Agriculture. Of that, 195,000 acres um, are owned by 85 Chinese investors, which could be individuals, companies, or the government, right? So that's kind of a broad category there. The other 189,000 acres um, were purchased and are owned by 62 U.S. corporations with Chinese shareholders, 
Chinese agricultural land ownership only increased about 550 acres from 2015 to 2019. The ownership jumped roughly 30% from 2019 to 2020, right? So that was another thing that's kind of concerned people is the, the rapid in, um, or increase in what they've bought. Um, but here's, here's what we'll say. There's, there's 109, this is according to Forbes, there's 109 countries that own U.S. agricultural land, all right? Now, keep in mind, when we say foreign countries that own the land, we're not just saying that the government of this country owns the land. This actually includes a much broader set of categories, right? So it could be individuals from a foreign country. It could be the foreign government itself. You know, it, it could be uh, a U.S. company with a with a uh, significant amount of foreign shareholders. All of those things get kind of clumped in together. But countries who own the most acres in the U.S., uh, Canada with 12,845,000 acres, the Netherlands with 4,875,000. Then it goes to Italy, United Kingdom, Germany, Portugal, France, Denmark, Luxembourg, Ireland. Um and, and all of them own significantly more land than China within the United States. So the question is, first of all, should, should we allow for any sort of foreign ownership of property within the United States? The thing I would ask you to, to look at with that um, kind of comprehensively is, would it be inappropriate for you to own some, you know, a, a farm in a foreign country? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I, you know, obviously that's something that a, each individual nation will want to monitor to some degree. But if an American wanted to have a farm in Canada, I, I don't see a problem with that. And if a Canadian wanted to have a farm in the United States, I it's, don't see a problem with that. It's kind of it's kind of going back to the idea that people trade, countries don't trade, people trade, yeah. people within the countries. And so yeah. people within the countries are buying farmland for their own various reasons, right? Yeah. But I think where the concern lies is what type of government do these people have because China has a communist government. So ultimately that communist government can take whatever it wants yeah. from the individuals in their country. So they can just decide you no longer have all of this and now it belongs to the government. Yeah. They can just do that arbitrarily. Yeah. And there's other government systems that don't allow for that. And so I think we should definitely differentiate between the two. No, I think that's right. And that's what that's actually what we did in Virginia. We didn't just do China. There, there was there was other nations that could be included with respect to how the State Department classifies certain nations with respect to activities they engage in, hostility toward the United States, things of that nature. And so I, I do think it's I don't think it's not as simple as just saying, oh, that's foreign owned land and we shouldn't allow it. It it should be something where we distinguish between you know, a, a foreigner that might own some property in the United States, which we might not have any problem with. I don't care if you own a condo in Miami. I, I don't care. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You come over here, you spend money, great, you know, whatever. But when you have a hostile country like China, and I think you brought up a, a much more important point, we're not just talking about a country that's hostile toward the United States, but we're talking about a country that lives under a Marxist principle, which says that they want to abolish the private ownership and the means of production. They have very, very limited uh, property rights within China. So you can, so when it's, when it's China engaging it, so for instance, when a Canadian buys property, I can look at that as, is it a Canadian? Is it a company with Canadian shareholders? Is it the Canadian government? When China does that, whether it's an individual, a company, or the Chinese government itself, it's all the Chinese government, essentially. Because the Chinese government owns it's not, everything there. It's not own. the rural peasants no. in, <laughs> in not Western Wigers. China yeah. that, are, that are purchasing you know, farmland or really any real estate in the United States. It's, no. it's CCP members. Yeah, yeah, and the CCP knows how to you know, maneuver investors to their benefit. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole question is the sort of land that they're buying up. Like, so, you know, what's the, the, the other thing I think people kind of understand a little bit easier is like, okay, so Toyota puts a plant in, you know, whatever, Indiana. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Well, yeah, they're going to own property to buy the plant on. They might not lease that. They might own the property. They might see it as a more of a long-term investment. Most of us understand, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense with respect to why Japan would do that. And that, that Toyota owned plant is going to employ American workers, right? Yeah. In order. So I get it, right? There is a little bit more of a question like, why are you buying up all this agricultural land? Why is China buying That's up all the That's the big question, land? especially when we're talking about, uh, I mean, I guess we're going to get into this, but the, the fact that they're coming up with all these different ways to grow meat in labs or fake meat, like I can't remember Beyond what. Beyond meat. I can't remember what Which they Which is probably going to go bankrupt this year, by the way. That's a prediction to keep in mind for the future. <laughs> Just watch for the government bailout. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But no, yeah. Why are you but buying agriculture? There's that. Like, uh, right. I, I think that um, there, are, there are people or interests within the U.S. that actually like the idea of 
less emphasis being put on us being, you know, independent with food and uh, less meat and things like that. I mean, there's a reason why there's this huge just groundswell push in, you know, Hollywood and everywhere else to glorify the eating of bugs now. I mean, there's all kinds of things like that where, I mean, they used to kind of glorify the whole vegan lifestyle and all that. And now we're starting to see that that's really not very healthy. And, you know, so they're like, well, I guess we do need meat. Can we grow it in a lab? I don't know. Oh, some of the stuff they're coming up with is, is pretty incredible. And that'll, that'll actually be a good segue. So I, I would say, look, if I'm looking at foreign ownership of land, right, is this a conspiracy to control food? or I think it's a mixed bag. Like, do I trust when China wants to buy hundreds of thousands of acres of agricultural land in the United States? No, I do not. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't trust them because, again, they don't have I, – I don't see the overall benefit for, the, benefit for them or the CCP owning that particular land. And, um, and I know that they see us as a, a rival on the world stage. They essentially see us as, as an enemy on some level. Right. Like and we so, see the potential for nefarious yeah. possibilities, but do we see a smoking gun just yet? No. Do we want to kind of safeguard and go, you can't buy land here? Yeah. yeah Let's yeah. do that. If, yeah. For those, for those, but again, I, I think we need to, the important part is to distinguish that when we say foreign ownership of land, when we say Canada owns this much land, it's very careful to look at those numbers and figure out what specifically are we talking about so that we can make the appropriate distinctions. Well, Nick, should we be concerned about folks like Bill Gates and other very wealthy people in the States owning a lot of farmland as well? Yes. So let's, so let's, let's, let's finish. So point three Foreign ownership of land is the problem. I would say mixed bag. It kind of depends. You got to look through through some of the headlines to figure out where the real problems are. Again, I think in Virginia we actually handled this fairly well. We we isolated certain countries which are hostile to the United States, and we said, "Yeah, you're not allowed to buy this because we know you have hostile intentions. We don't yeah. trust that." But moving on to individuals that own farmland uh, in the United Gates. States, Bill. Gates. You just so, look at what he's investing in all over the place and what he's trying to do, and then the fact that he's buying all of this land up. Well, let's first let's first dispel something that is untrue, right? There's a lot of people that said that Bill Gates owns the majority of farmland in the United States. No, no he doesn't. It's not even close. He doesn't even. He's not even the la single largest individual land owner, much less owning most of the. But it is a little weird that this tech guy has bought up farmland and has no interest in farming. Well, I, I think the, okay, so a, a couple of things, just so, you know, we kind of, I'm trying to find my- Like uh, he's never expressed an interest in actually farming land. I mean, he, I- But he has expressed interest in growing meat in labs. <laughs> and he's also expressed interest in shutting down meat consumption. But Tina, so, but, 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 but mm, Tina, I mean, if we want to be intellectually honest though, I've never shown any interest in being a railroad conductor. But one of the largest positions in my portfolio is a railroad. Yeah. Like, I, so, so just because you're you're not a farmer yourself, but he didn't invest in farmland as a portfolio item. He bought the land. Well, no, that but that's still that's an a investment. tangible that's thing. Still, that's still, still an investment. It's still an investment. Though. There's a lot of people who say, why, "Why do you buy land? Because they ain't making any more of it, right?" Like it's so. Uh, look, I'm not. It's concerning. I'm not questioning why somebody would. If I if I look at my 401k, there I have stocks and stuff that I would never even dream of doing. I just know that they're good investments. The issue that I have, like, here's the difference. It's his other though. interests that concern me. Here's, and that's, see, that's what we're getting to. Right. Right. The, the point it's that we're getting to here is someone saying, oh, a tech, jo like Jeff Bezos owns hundreds of thousands of acres. Why? Oh, well, because he actually has like a, this company with respect to doing space exploration. Here's like a better analogy. Us. Jeff well, Bezos wait, 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 owns the Washington post. Yeah. Why does he own the Washington post? Well, it, it's definitely not because he has aspiring dreams to be a reporter. Yeah. He owns the Washington post because he wants to influence a certain narrative. Yeah. And so by owning a larger newspaper, he can push a message that yep. would, would align with his values. Which is exactly and views. why Bill Gates would own farmland. Okay, but that the point I'm making, all right, is let's distinguish between, you know, a benign, activity and one that has, you know, maybe, maybe something that isn't so benign. Right. So again, there's nothing wrong with somebody that has no intention of, you know, again, Warren Buffett doesn't want to be run, a railroad conductor. Doesn't want to run choo-choos, right? Like <laughs> he, he wants just, to make money. He understands that's a great way to make money. <laughs> yeah. Bill Gates, you know, it, again, and if it was a different tech guy that said, Hey, I want to buy up a lot of agricultural land because I see this as being, you know, you know, valuable stuff. But Bill Gates, one minute will go on Fox news and say, 
we're not. T- this is not a moral crusade for me. We're not telling you can't tell people you just got to stop eating meat. Like he'll say that one minute, and the next minute he'll go to the WEF and he'll talk about how well, yeah, rich countries need to move entirely to synthetic meat. And oh, by the way, I just bought two hundred seventy thousand acres of agricultural right. land. So at any given right. moment, once once he feels like their production levels are high enough to be able to at least come close to meeting a demand. Not even that. He can go ahead and shut down all farming that's happening on any land that he owns. He just shut it down. But the good news is, is that the the sum total of the amount of land that he owns, this is the biggest myth that I want to dispel. And Nick already got to it. Yes, Bill Gates is one of the largest individual landowners, but he's not the largest. First off, but he's but, not done. That's the thing is, he's but, but not even done, if he's, he's not done, even if he even if he spent every dime that he had, he couldn't even come close to owning. Even ten percent of the amount of farmland in this country—that's fine. But he can he can affect it from his own. Like he can still have an effect. And by the way, I'm not defending Bill Gates' right. actions. I yeah. just want to be clear on that. This is like, it's, Christian, it's amazing does, that we have to do this. Does he own enough farmland that if he shut down operation on on his own farms, that it would increase the price of food across the country? No, really. Why? Is I, that? I, I, I'm, I I do well, not believe well, that say, for a second. Say, okay, wait a second. Let, let's let, let's remember that when we're talking about agriculture, we're talking about especially for some of us that we're talking about larger commodity markets, right? So if if you took, I don't I don't even know what percentage he affects the commodity markets, but if you took a certain percentage out of production suddenly overnight. Would that have an impact on prices? Yes, it, it theoretically could, especially because it depends on a, what they're growing. American too. agricultural output has been one of the most consistent, dependable things um, with respect to commodity. Because again, in Ukraine, you got wars. In Europe, you have you have other considerations. In in China and India, which are the two largest agricultural producers, right? But it's all for internal consumptions because it's on small farms, right? So the United States is a major ag producer because. It's, it's highly productive, it's highly efficient, and it's highly dependable. So if you were to take 270,000 acres out of production right now, would that affect you know, at least regional markets? Yeah, I think it probably Absolutely. could. Absolutely. And the other component of this that I don't think people are paying attention to is a lot of what is grown in this country isn't making it to your table. It's making it to the trough of the animal you're going to eat. To give you an so, idea of percentage, I did the math. Yeah. I, I did the math. Bill Gates owns 0.03% of all total farmland in the United States. But yeah. he is buying up farmland at a friggin' breakneck speed. And the issue, sure. here's what I see. Here's what, just let me get it all okay. out there. You know how people start strategically moving their pieces around on the board, right? Like, let's say they, they're going to take over a, let's say they're going to have some kind of massive battle situation and they start moving things around at the very beginning just to prepare for what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. I feel like he is buying this stuff up right now because he is hoping in the future, he will have a bigger opportunity to affect things. And so I feel like there is, um, (laughs) I, as prices are dropping and, and things are getting more expensive and people are having to, like in a lot of these, there are plenty of places where when a f- family member who owns a massive farm passes away, the family that inherits the farm has to parse it out and sell parts of it off in order to even pay the death tax in certain places, right? Depending on where they're at. And so, you know, these big farms aren't really staying together anymore. And the more this happens, the more, you know, hard times these farmers are falling upon and they're losing, you know, cattle in the winter, they're losing all kinds of stuff. What happens is, um, they're, they end up having to lose the farm, right? They they sell the farm and they sell it for less than, than what it's worth because they need to feed their family. And my concern is that the more we, you know, more regulations that are imposed, the more he advocates for those kind of regulations because he's he's a total Green New Deal type de- guy. You know, he's way into all of all of the green. Well, crap. I think I, so. When you look at when you look at his holdings, and again, it, it's it's interesting because you look at the stuff. And there, there's also a difference between owning property and owning agricultural land. So there, there's other private owners in the United States that own over two million acres, like just. You know, one yeah, person, but is right? it inactive agriculture? That's what I'm getting to. Production. Like that's my point is that if you if you go to like farmlandriches.com, they list Bill Gates as the number one privately owned 
the, here's here's how they here's they they listed here. It's um, Gates kept his farmland purchases private, but it was recently revealed that he has amassed enough acreage to be the largest private farmland owner in the uh, in the oh county. So it's not in the whole country. This is just particular. His largest holdings are in Louisiana, sixty nine thousand one hundred acres. Arkansas, forty thousand forty eight thousand acres. Nebraska, twenty thousand five hundred acres. And that's actually changed a little bit, I think, since they've they've done this. Um, buying farmland hasn't been the sole way Gates has supported agriculture. In two thousand ten, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation allocated three hundred six million in grants to aid high yield sustainable farming for farmers with small lots in the Sahara desert in Africa and South Asia. This foundation has also funneled money into research and development of so-called super crops that are able to flourish even during climate change. So the bottom line is everything that he said and what they've done through his foundation, through as an individual says that he is very interested in this as a topic. And so the question is, is there some sort of conspiracy here where Bill Gates is buying up farmland in the U S in order to have a greater influence on the global food market? I, I think the answer to that is yes. I don't know how conspiratorial You kind of would have I to know his intentions, I, I think he's, right? I think he's, well, I think he's, he's obvious about when you look at what he is, um, what he's done with WEF, what, what, when you look at what the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done, when you look at what they've attempted to do in Africa, um, and I think some of the stuff they've done in Africa has actually been horrible when you really pour into the numbers. That could be a whole other episode. Um, but he is one of these guys that believes that, you know, he's in a unique position to be able to positively impact the world. And one of the ways he thinks he's going to positively impact it is by influencing the way that we eat, the way that we produce our food. And I think what's important to understand, and this goes back to what we were saying before, there's a million reasons why a rich tech guy would buy a lot of land. They might just like a lot of land. They might, they might just want it for their own little personal reserve, or they might see it as a great investment in a variety of different things, whether it's minerals, whether it's agriculture. But when you have a guy that has a very, very unique interest, not just with respect to agriculture, but with the way agriculture, he believes agriculture should be produced, mm -hmm. he, when he believes what our diets should look like, right? And and he's, he's stated it, and he's been kind of... It, it, it's amazing because a few years ago he was he was much more open about we all need to move to synthetic meats and he saw the backlash with that and now he's like well you can't just tell everyone to stop eating meat like okay Bill do you he's believe he's pulled that? back his rhetoric do but that doesn't mean that, that he's pulled back his action no, he's changed his marketing strategy yeah, because yeah. It, it wasn't very popular so I when I look at when I look at what he's what he's buying at the rate at which he's buying it. I look. I'm a yes on this. I, again, I don't. I don't think it's. A I'm conspiracy. a super mixed bag here because I, I think I, it's a yes. I, I think I. I don't question the the weird motivations. I say the word weird sparingly. I. I don't question his motive. Well, I do question his motivations. Yeah. So that's the issue. I very much question the idea that any single individual will be able to statistically significantly impact well but that's not the food. question well no no, no. the, the, the I, question I? was is that through his actions could he actually do something to the broader economy well, no, that and wasn't the question we, the question we let in with is like does does bill gates is bill gates doing this because he wants to have a greater impact on how we eat and he wants to do it in a significant way i don't disagree that the the amount of farmland that you would have to own to be able to significantly input to like force people into this. He doesn't have that. Yeah, He doesn't have, he doesn't that. have that, but does he want it? Yes. Do I think is he, do I think he's trying to amass more and more in order to be able to make the case and be able to get yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. I do. Can That's, I point out just one thing real quick? You yeah. mentioned Louisiana Yeah. and you know, I thought, you know, there might be another factor for his strategic placement for where he wants some of these things. And I'm looking right now at uh, U.S. National Gas Pipelines. And do you know, Louisiana is just covered. Covered. Do you think maybe he wants to have something to do with any proposed pipelines coming through? I or, mean, you know. certainly possible. It's just an idea. No, it's N Now possible. that we're, like, talking about conspiracies, let me add another one. <laughs> let me well, create no, I, one. Here we go. I, I think, for me, again, I... I and again, this isn't a conspiracy in the sense that I think Bill Gates is trying to like hide the ball in all of this. I think Bill Gates has been very obvious about what he wants. I think he's been historically quite transparent yes. about what he and, wants. And and I think he's I think he is just now starting to get major pushback for it, but I think he's positioning himself in a way to be able to influence markets to do what he wants. And that's not especially that's not a crazy theory, right? People do that all the time, especially when they got a ton of money, right? Yeah. 
No, I I think that's fine. So what all what what do all of these things have in common though? Right? There's an existing narrative, and mm. we've kind of gone through each of these different points, and some of them are more true than others. I think. Yeah. I think that that's objectively true. That some some of these things that we've heard, especially in our circle and conservative circles, talk about are more true than others. Like I think that that it's it's obvious to me that the CCP going in and purchasing real estate that is happening yeah. in a way that that you can verify far easier than the idea that there's more you know food processing plants that are burning here well i, in the I US. know i know if i went i i have i have good friends that you know conservatives that if i talk to them right now and i brought the four topics we talked about was the we if food processing plant fires foreign ownership of land and bill gates if i ask them are every single one of those things an absolute hard and fast fact that it has been, they would say absolutely to all yeah. four yes. and they would not tolerate any sort of diversion right. from that. Whereas and there's a reason though. There's a reason why there is the conclusion we came into is like, yes, not really mixed bag and yes, but it's not, is, is it's, it's not, not as big the way that deal. it's portrayed. It's not as big a deal as people seem to, to think it is, or, or, or he's not having the impact that he thinks he is, even though he might want to. Right. So that's the point. And I think what this comes down to is I, I know people that are, you know, very, very reasonable that would look at that now are at a point where they don't trust anything. And I, I wholeheartedly blame the media <laughs> for this. And oh, I yeah. think, but I, I, Lydia, ha Lydia found a tweet that I thought did a better job of articulating why so many people who, want the truth, right? They don't, there are some people, let's all acknowledge this. There are people on both sides of, and of any discussion that so desperately want to believe their narrative that nothing will convince them otherwise. But I don't think that's the majority of people. I think that's maybe 10, 15% on each side that, uh, that, that is just, it is a, it is a religious it, belief. This is crazy. Can, can we have somebody it, read this off? I think yeah, it has increased massively since COVID because we watched in real time so many of our conspiracy theories come true. I mean, mm -hmm. we weren't even thinking they were conspiracies. We just thought, why is the government covering, covering this up? It looks yeah. pretty obvious to me. Yeah. Well, and, and this is the, the we're going to read this off. So Nate Silver, right? Not a, not, not a right wing guy, not a right wing conservative. Nate Silver tweeted out, well, the behavior of a certain cadre of scientists who used every trick in the book to suppress discussion of this issue is something I'll never forget. A huge disservice to science and public health. They should be profoundly embarrassed. And then Mehdi Hassan. Hang on, hang on. We need to talk about what he was referencing, what Nate Silver yeah. was talking about here. Nate Silver was talking about the lab leak hypothesis, yeah, which lab, yeah. the, the FBI's director and the U.S. Department of Energy both came out literally within days of each other and said, this is probably what happened. And oh, yeah. by they, the they way, did, they, they, they didn't confirm for a fact, but they said based on the resources that we have, it's most likely that this, that, that the whole Wuhan laboratory, that that was the source of it. And this source. is a theory that people were like canceled, banned on Twitter for, for, oh, yeah. for yeah. espousing, like, not before John, Elon came along. John Stewart even did a whole rant about it, you know, just pointing it out. And got all kinds of flack from his own side. He's yeah. not a conservative. He can't stand conservative. I love this people, response. People, people understand people were demonetized. And, and for some people like, oh, well, you know, they got kicked off of YouTube. If YouTube was their source of income, they basically lost their job. They mm -hmm. got demonetized for, for just expressing an, an idea. And John Stewart did the best job of saying, you're telling me it's not okay to wonder if the novel coronavirus lab in Wuhan had something to do with a virus that escaped in Wuhan and affected, the, you're telling me we're not even allowed to consider that. And as if an option. you watch that clip, you can see the fear oh, on yeah. the other Colbert's face. Like he's like, yeah. oh, like trying to calm him down. So many of the clips don't show that part. Yeah, but he's tough, like, oh, oh, wait a minute, tough wait a minute. Guy, he's tell so it like scared. it is. Stephen Colbert terrified that somebody might suggest. Right. All right. So that is what Nate. So, so for context, that's what Nate Silver is responding to. And this is what Mehdi Hassan said. He goes, the simple reason why so many people weren't keen to discuss the lab leak theory is because it was originally conflated by the right with Chinese bioweapon conspiracies and continues to be conflated by the right with anti-Fauci conspiracies. Blame the conspiracy theorists. And then Nate Silver responds with this. He goes, this is so refreshingly honest. The bad people thought the lab leak might be true. Therefore, as journalists, we couldn't be expected to actually evaluate the evidence for it. 
Yeah. Nate called out. First of all, yeah, Mehdi Hassan, when he says this is so refreshingly honest, he goes, he's basically calling out Mehdi Hassan as like, you're a joke as a journalist. Right. Because that is exactly what he just admitted to. And if you want to know why, we can look at four pieces of evidence for something today on, on controlling food. And we, the, all of us who are all on the right, all conservative can come and say, you know what? I see sufficient evidence for this. I don't see it for this. I'm not sure about this. But Mehdi Hassan is why so many people right now, right? And, and that whole sort of journalistic malpractice, the bad guys believe this thing. And so we're not even going to, we're going to shut it down. We're going to embarrass anybody. We're going to take away their job. We're going to have them investigated because the bad people are saying this. And Nate Silver And we're going to call it disinformation out. And, even and when it was true. And that, he's saying this is anti-Fauci conspiracy theories. Well, we've already seen the gain of function stuff that, that, anti, that Fauci has been saying wasn't there. And then, but- it met the definition yeah. of uh, gain-of-function research. So the problem here is the anti-Fauci conspiracies were true, too. Yeah. And that's the problem is that they're like, wait a minute, you're going to find out about this other stuff if we report on this stuff, so we can't report on any of it. Nick, in the beginning of the episode, we promised that we would talk about why it's so hard to tell people what to believe. Is this why? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think when it... I don't like the I don't like the phraseology of telling people what to believe. Okay, I, I think it's more about the idea of people have lost faith in, in in certain institutions that we used to trust. Even if we could spot some bias in it, and we understand that everybody has some level of bias, we still didn't feel they would outright lie to us, right? Or we didn't think they would go after our entire livelihood and credibility and treat us like pariahs that needed to be, you know, lose their jobs or silenced you know, by the government or by big tech because we disagreed or because we, we wanted to posit a different theory. And, and what we're finding out now is that the quote unquote conspiracy theories, please define for me what becomes a conspiracy theory is a theory, which basically says that a certain group of people are conspiring to keep the truth from you. Well, that's can, exactly can someone what they did. Please tell me what exactly happened here. Because when Fauci gets up there and basically yells at Rand Paul that he doesn't know what he's talking about and they never funded gain-of-function research. And then lo and behold, we find out that they did. Do you honestly believe Fauci didn't know that? Or do you believe that he understood that it was absolutely catastrophic to the narrative that they were pushing out, that this was all some bad bat soup in Wuhan province? Yeah. Right, so we're not even talking about, we're not talking about conspiracy theorists here, this whole blame the conspiracy. Hey, you know, Mehdi, I got news for you. The, the people that were saying, I think aliens did it, I'm not suggesting that you give them the same credibility as the people that said, hey, there's a coronavirus that's, that's now spreading the globe, and it seems to have originated in Wuhan province, where, oh, by the way, there's a novel coronavirus lab, oh, by the way, located in a country that, that still believes that chemical weapons not so bad, okay. and oh, by the way, has, received, has been the beneficiary of U.S. funding from the National Institutions of Health, like, but if th that, this is, if we're that not, came we're not out, even talking about, we're not even talking about something harebrained and wild right. and crazy. We're talking about these are all things, and 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 let me just caveat something. And every one of them could have been wrong. They could have been wrong. And you know how we would have found out if they were wrong? They would have gone out there. We would have analyzed it. People would have discussed. They would have talked about the probabilities of various things. What's the probability that that's true? What's the probability of this true? What's the probability of this theory versus this theory? But no, guys like Mehdi Hassan decided, you're bad. I don't like you. You don't get to be heard. My job is no longer to look at logical, to look at the evidence in order to determine whether or not you've arrived at a logical conclusion. My job is to shut you down on behalf of what my side says but is true this is why nobody has any 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 trust no. in the mainstream media at this point because this guy said the quiet part out loud yep. yeah but part of the reason why they couldn't let that stuff out is because they first of all they were protecting uh fauci because if we would have found out right away that it was wuhan although most of us are like yeah we kind of figured that you know it's pretty obvious but the reason why it had to be tamped down and hidden is because when you started digging in, then you find out the gain of function research stuff, which is highly illegal activity. And they had to protect Fauci. And here's the thing. Our government and the media have conspired for ages, ages on propaganda. 
I mean, it goes way, way back. I was at the Smithsonian a while back and I just, I had to laugh because I took a picture of one of the posters that was put out by the government and then a lot of articles and things like that were put out too by media and it was this was back during uh, World War II and it was pushing people to carpool to work and it was saying if you're not uh, if if you're riding alone you're riding with Hitler that is exactly what it said if you're riding alone you're riding with Hitler and it had like this guy chummy with Hitler riding in his car This kind of propaganda, and what is that meant for? It's the same thing, like, oh, if you don't wear a mask, you want grandma to die. Like, they've been at this forever. And so this idea that we don't have propaganda anymore is naive as heck. And there's all these people that want to sit here and talk about how bad politicians are and everything else. But why, why, why are you so suspect of the government? Well, maybe because it's run by politicians. You know, thanks, babe. (laughs) Well, sorry, but there's this it's this idea that um, we can trust everything good and wonderful from the government, but we also hate politicians at the same time. I I think Fauci really needs to to be prosecuted for this. I mean, he was doing this was illegal activity and it was exposed. They tried their very best to hide it. And I feel like. Well, but but it, it and again, Prison we, can, time. We, we can look. We can have the whole discussion of what should happen with Fauci and and. But the whole the whole point of this, the whole point of this wrap up, right, right, is why is it that again, otherwise reasonable people? Let, let's just go ahead and exclude. <laughs> let's just exclude kind of the the kooks out there. The fringe we, we, folks. Yeah. Well, why is it that otherwise reasonable people, um, o- almost feel like this this point where all belief now needs to be tribal. And and I think it's because they they don't trust anybody outside the group to be able to give them anything resembling objective information. And that is that's terrifying. And what you see Mehdi Hassan here who again works for MSNBC, right? We're not talking mm-hmm. we're not talking about some, you know, blogger in his mom's basement right now. But what he did is he he went through this he went through this entire rant here. And he ended it with something that's very, very telling. He said, blame the conspiracy theorists. And that's the part that's the part that should really concern us out of everything he said because now he's showing you what the justification is. Because he's he's even in some in some subtle way admitting that, oh yeah, that a lot of this stuff actually did turn out to be true. Um, or or maybe it was it was true in a different way, but still substantively, when we get to the point of it, it was still true. And we, and we missed it, but it's not our fault that we missed it. It's because the people that we didn't like were saying things we didn't like about people we did like. And our, our highest obligation was to protect our side. Yeah. He and didn't the moment, even say they missed it. And the moment you've, the moment you've told me that that's your side, mm-hmm. the, okay, I, I, know, I know what you're playing for now. And, and I, I could excuse that. If you came right out and said, look, I'm, I'm a liberal, but I'm going to do my best job to, to report the news then you would look at something like this and say, yeah, this was a problem. It shouldn't have happened this way. We should really figure out, okay, what did we do wrong? How do we do it wrong? And how do we do a better job next time? See, if you would have said that, I would have said, you know what? I don't agree with that guy's political objectives. But that is someone that recognizes that there is such a thing as objective truth and that his job is to find it and to be able to present it in a way that makes sense and is intellectually honest and consistent. But he just told us that's not what he believes his job is. His job is to shut down the people that he doesn't like. And Nate Silver called him out on it mm-hmm. beautifully. And that is why when Nate Silver says something, I might not necessarily agree with his analysis. I certainly don't agree with his politics. But I see Nate Silver as someone that still has some sort of commitment to this idea of what is true. I want to know what's true. Mm-hmm. But we've been gaslit for the last three years, and that's why we don't believe them anymore. I did that, say so many of them. New York, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, all of these ones. You can find all these conflicting reports, and they just lambast and drag through the dirt and gaslight everybody that doesn't agree with them. And then they later on come out very quietly, and they're like, "Well, we were kind of wrong, but it's your fault." Yeah. There's a um. I, I remember saying this to Nick, and I can't remember if I actually said it in a podcast or if I said it before we recorded, but I was like, we've gotten to a point now where the government can come out and say, brushing your teeth is 
uh, healthy thing to do. And there would be a huge chunk of Americans that would say, I am never touching a toothbrush ever again. And what's funny is, is that the media would look at that and be like, oh, look at all these stupid rubes that don't know anything about hygiene. When in reality, no, what happened was, is that you can get to a point where it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? You have thrown away your credibility so much that people are now willing to believe the opposite of what you have to say. And that can create some really, really, really dangerous things going forward. I want to close this out by saying this. Part of the reason why we went through this exercise was not just to trash the media, but it was also to hopefully make sure that you understand we have a commitment to you. And that commitment to you is we're going to be very, very honest about where our philosophy is, um, where our biases might be. We We don't want that to be confusing to anyone. You know what we believe and why we believe it. But by the same token, we want to believe things that are true. Now, once we arrive at what the truth is in a particular situation, once we've looked at the facts and the evidence, we might come to different conclusions. We might come to different conclusions with respect to what other people believe or what sort of outcomes they would like to achieve. But we're never going to put ourselves in a position where we say the truth doesn't matter. What matters is our narrative. Because if what we believe and our narrative and our policy and our objectives doesn't line up with the truth, there is absolutely no hope that can actually achieve a positive outcome. And so that will always be our commitment. Even if we think it's going to be unpopular with large segments of our audience, if we think something is false, we will say it. If we think it's true, we will say it. And we will be more than happy to let the chips fall where they may. Thank you very much for joining us. Please, once again, go on to Volley. Again, for all of our people on Volley, I promise you, I'm going to be back on there. I'm so glad to be done with session and back here. But thank you very much for sticking with us. And we'll see you next episode.